Medtronic Technologies impacted more than 72 million people in the last year, equating to two people every second. Harnessing the power of technology to take healthcare further, each technology has unique benefits designed to serve patients. The goal of this program is to get closer to the patient and delve into the challenges and impact of each technology in practice. This is the Medtronic MedEd Learning Experience. The INVOS monitoring system should not be used as the sole basis for diagnosis or therapy and is intended only as an adjunct in patient assessment. Medtronic's medical education programs are offered to provide attendees education on the FDA-cleared indications and use of our products when applicable. The contents and conclusions of the following program are solely those of the speakers unless otherwise noted. The speakers are responsible for all content and any necessary permissions. The speakers received funding from Covidian LP, a Medtronic company, for this speaking engagement. For this segment of the series, a discussion on the value of NEARS and clinical practice in the NICU, how can the use of NEARS be valuable in assessing hypertension in neonates? To help provide insight into this topic is Dr. Scott Duncan, Professor and Chief Division of Neonatal Medicine, Department of Pediatrics at University of Louisville School of Medicine. This podcast will demonstrate the value of near-infrared spectroscopy in assessing hypotension in the neonate. The near-infrared spectroscopy measures the real-time venous reserve capacity following tissue oxygen extraction in a specific region or tissue under the sensor. There's both a shallow pathway, a shorter distance photodetector, and a deep pathway, the farther distance photodetector. In this illustration, the short pathway is subtracted from the deep pathway so that the tissue of interest is approximately two and a half centimeters below the probe, avoiding contamination from the skin, bone, and dura when monitoring regional oxygen saturation values of the brain. The brain is a high extraction organ and the kidneys a low extraction organ, such that the renal saturations tend to be higher than those of the cerebral saturations. In this example, we see what happens when oxygen delivery is compromised by diminished arteriole or flow. The right panel shows a thinner arteriole with red oxygen saturation values, which turns purple to blue almost immediately as it enters the capillary and also shows a saturation value of approximately 45. This illustrates that the tissue has extracted much more oxygen because the flow is reduced. Anything that causes a decrease in oxygen delivery, such as reduced flow, or an increase in tissue consumption, such as coming out of anesthesia, will reduce the near-infrared spectroscopy oxygen values in real time. Why is this important? Well, the regional saturation values may be an early and more sensitive warning available for identification of perfusion change. I like to use the example of the diving reflex to illustrate the utility of NEARS monitoring. Part of the diving reflex is that the animal will redistribute the blood flow away from the gut and the kidneys to protect vital organs, the heart, the brain, the adrenal gland. This is one way to think about near-infrared spectroscopy. Routine clinical monitors do not detect changes in systemic vascular resistance, which results in the redistribution of cardiac output. Think of progressive changes that occur in shock. First, you have a falling oxygen delivery and metabolism alterations, followed by regional hypoperfusion, 
that is higher regional oxygen extraction, regional anaerobic metabolism, and organ dysfunction. This is now followed by global hypoperfusion demonstrated by additional organ hypoperfusion, metabolic derangements, and ultimately organ injury, including the brain. This precedes total cardiovascular collapse. So let's look at a couple of examples where hemodynamics instability was present and interventions used to stabilize the patient. This first example examines an eight hour old, 950 gram, 29 week testation preterm infant on assisted ventilation, receiving 35% oxygen. The infant had been given a total of 50 mLs per kilogram of lactated ringers for a mean blood pressure of between 24 and 26 prior to beginning regional saturation monitoring. The mean blood pressure remained 25 to 27 millimeters of mercury. Since the cerebral regional oxygen saturations were approximately 80%, the clinician elected not to give more fluid or to start dopamine. Between 1700 and 1720 hours, the oxygen was weaned to 28%. By about 1720 hours, the mean blood pressure decreased to between 22 and 24 millimeters of mercury. The oxygen saturations remained at 88% with an oxygen concentration of 28%, but the infant appeared to be hypotensive. Having already received 50 mLs per kilogram of fluids, the oxygen was increased to 40%. The mean blood pressure increased to 27 to 28 millimeters of mercury after increasing oxygen delivery. Arterial saturations increased to 98%. And you can see the effect on the cerebral regional oxygen saturations and the renal regional oxygen saturations. In this example, a 510 gram, 23 and a half week gestational age infant was switched from a pressured cycle ventilation with a mean airway pressure of 11 to high frequency oscillatory ventilation with a mean airway pressure of 12 at approximately 3 a.m. There was no significant change in the heart rate, blood pressure, or arterial saturations after starting oscillatory ventilation. However, the cerebral regional oximetry declined dramatically over the next several hours. The mean airway pressure was decreased to 11 at 0530, to 9 at 0630, and to 8 at 0730. Recall that the mean airway pressure on the conventional ventilator and initially on the high frequency ventilator were similar. It's possible that the constant application of a high mean airway pressure with high frequency oscillatory ventilation impeded venous return and decreased cardiac output, which rebounded once the mean airway pressure was reduced below critical threshold. Cyclic variations in pressure as occur with conventional ventilation may have less of an impact on venous return. The evidence of hyperinflation and the smaller heart size on radiographic images while on high frequency oscillatory ventilation would support this opinion. This premature infant born at 28 weeks gestation was admitted to the NICU with a diagnosis of respiratory distress syndrome and possible sepsis. Upon admission to the NICU, the infant was placed on mechanical ventilation using a high-frequency oscillatory ventilator and given surfactant. In addition to standard clinical monitoring used in the NICU, regional oximetry was used to monitor the cerebral and the perirenal tissue beds. The oscillatory support was initiated with a mean airway pressure of 16 centimeters of water. The initial cerebral and somatic regional values were in the 60s and 80s, respectively. Ventilator, ventilator support was increased from a mean airway pressure of 16 to 17 
in response to a low partial pressure of oxygen from our arterial blood gas. The patient was also given a second dose of surfactant. Perirenal regional oxygen saturation steadily declined over the first hour and a half to the 40s. The infant's mean arterial blood pressure was averaging approximately 25 millimeters of mercury and dopamine was initiated. After a brief improvement in the perirenal regional oxygen saturations, the values declined to 30s over the following hour. Considering the potential for lung overinflation caused by the mean airway pressure on the oscillator and the impact this could have on hemodynamic function, the decision was made to decrease the mean airway pressure from 17 to 15. This decrease in mean airway pressure was accompanied by an immediate rise in the perirenal regional oxygen saturation values to the 80s. This improvement surpassed the original renal saturation values of 57. Note also the increase in the cerebral regional saturation values as well. The mean arterial pressure remained steady, averaging around 25 millimeters of mercury, and the increase in dopamine was not necessary. So in this instance, regional oxygen saturation monitoring enabled the team to assess and maintain hemodynamic stability of the patient. With the additional information, the team was able to decrease the amount of ventilator support and avoid additional doses of vasopressors while maintaining adequate oxygenation and perfusion of the cerebral and the somatic tissue beds. In this scenario, the patient's a 25-week gestational age preterm infant weighing 610 grams who showed early indicators of hemodynamic instability. The infant was diagnosed with early onset sepsis and intubated to manage respiratory distress syndrome. Three days after birth, the infant experienced severe hypotension and septic shock. Initially, the mean arterial pressures remained within what would be considered normal limits at approximately 32 millimeters of mercury. You can see that the near-infrared spectroscopy monitoring showed changes that precede the changes in mean arterial pressure. Renal regional oxygen saturations decreased 30% from baseline. 40 minutes later, the cerebral regional saturations decreased from 75 to 15, and the mean arterial blood pressures plummeted. After intervening with fluids and inotropes, both renal and cerebral regional saturations improved and returned to baseline. We know that monitoring cerebral near-infrared spectroscopy may detect changes in cerebral perfusion and subsequently influence ventilation management, as well as treatment of patent ductus arteriosus, maintaining the neutral thermal environment, and metabolically avoiding hyper or hypoglycemia. Early changes in cerebral perfusion is not detected by pulse oximetry, partial pressures of oxygen, or blood pressure, all of which are global measures. Finally, how do you approach interventions to improve cerebral oxygenation? Think of this in simple economic terms, that is supply and demand. We either want to increase the delivery or reduce the demand. To increase cerebral perfusion pressures, we increase the delivery by increasing blood pressure, systemic vascular resistance, cardiac output, or decrease the central venous pressure. While reducing cerebral vascular resistance can occur through increasing the partial pressure of carbon dioxide. You can increase the partial pressure of oxygen by increasing the delivery of oxygen, transfusions of packed red blood cells to increase carrying capacity and or other interventions such as intubation and assisted ventilation. 
When treating renal hypoxia, think of increasing cardiac output through optimizing preload, afterload, rate, rhythm, and contractility, maintain a neutral thermal environment, reducing sympathetic outflow by increasing inotrope infusion or decreasing nitroprusside, and considering regional vasodilators such as milrinone. What do these cases illustrate? Well, first that we must monitor for changes and trends over time. Each tissue bed will have varying degrees of oxygen extraction dependent upon its needs. And each tissue bed has different variability. With the cerebral beds having the lowest variability, the renal beds having a moderate variability, and the mesenteric beds having the highest variability. Reasons for decreased regional saturations can include decreased blood or oxygen delivery, increase in gross oxygen consumption, even an altered oxygen hemoglobin affinity, or any combination thereof. In the cases we illustrated, you're primarily looking at decreased regional saturations due to decreased blood flow and or oxygen delivery, that is ischemia versus hypoxia. I always add the caveat, near-infrared spectroscopy won't necessarily tell you what to do, but provide you with an early warning system that suggests the clinician needs to assess the ongoing physiologic state of the infant and customize therapeutic interventions before catastrophic events transpire. So the benefits of using near-infrared spectroscopy in neonatology include that it immediately reflects the impact of your interventions. It provides you a piece of objective data, and it shows you the real-time physiology and the changes that are ongoing in the tissue beds of interest. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and look for other cases in this continuing series. Please tune in next week for a new segment from this series wherever you find your podcast. This is the Medtronic MedEd Learning Experience. Thank you for listening.